Welcome to Color Mania. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have been on a financial stewardship series and we are on part five, which we should be ending the series today. And we are going to go ahead and get right into it. My name is Tanya. And I'm Michael. And we are going to be discussing the important odds and ends of finances. Those little things that we don't think about, like checking account and all these little uh, nuances that we just kind of forget in our day to day. So let's go ahead and get started. I'll turn it over to you, Michael. Yes, we'll jump right into it. We want to just talk about important odds and ends. We don't want to make it sound like it's unimportant by calling it odds and ends. We just don't have an umbrella term in order to categorize all that we want to talk about. So this is a bunch of different things that we want to make sure that we talk to our children about when in regards to finances. So we teach them how to be good stewards of God's money. We first of all want to reiterate that we are not financial planners. We're not trying to be your financial planner. We're trying to teach what the even Angelical financial planners teach, like the Dave Ramseys of the world, that we want to make sure we pass on to our children. And so we just want to make sure that everybody realizes where we are coming from. And that brings us to our first odds and ends is that we want to set our child up with a good financial planner. Uh, even Dave Ramsey has a financial planner. He says he doesn't have the time to know everything that's going on with the market and all the different funds that are out there. So he has the financial experts who that's their job to do that. They're the ones that research all that and know all that and, and know what the best investments are. And of course, Dave Ramsey, like the rest of us, should hopefully know at least the basics of what's going on so that we understand what a financial planner tells us and the choices that he has for us. But where do we find a financial planner? Of course, we can always get a personal reference. A good idea, though, is to ask, is this person a Christian? You know, do they have a Christian philosophy when it comes to their financial outlook about debt and other things. So that's one of the best ways is just a personal reference from somebody you know who likes their financial planner. Dave Ramsey has what he calls smart investor pros online. You can get online and get somebody that he endorses as someone who follows his philosophy and has a teaching mentality in order to do what's best in your best interest and make sure that you understand what is going on and teaching you as well about finances and the different choices. So you could just pick one of those online. Thrivent is another one. That's the one we go with. We like them because that's a Christian organization and all their profits, their nonprofit, all their profits go back to the church and the community. And so we like the idea of going with Thrivent. If you've heard of Dan Celia on the radio, he is a big proponent of biblical responsible investing and you can join his organization that fee may change. And he, uh, if you join his organization, he'll advise you on what to invest in, in things that are biblically responsible in companies that don't invest their money in bad things that are contrary to the Bible. And, and that's an important concept to see where we are investing, what companies we are supporting. But with Dan Celia, you have to do a little bit of self-management with that and do a little research. And you got to learn from his website what to invest in. And so there's a little work with that, but that's an option. There's Timothy funds out there that also do biblically responsible investing. So those are some of the, the choices uh, for making sure you have a good financial advisor and you have your child set up with a good financial advisor that can help with a lot of uh, these concepts. And they're the ones that'll set you up with a Roth and a 529 and other things like that. So uh, that's the first and end. Um, the second thing is balancing a checkbook, teaching our children how to balance a checkbook and budget and manage retirement accounts. Managed money 
goes further. I like what Proverbs 27, 23 through 24 says. It says, pay attention to your flocks and give careful attention to your herds for riches do not endure forever. This is using a farm analogy, meaning that, you know, a farmer, if he's selling flocks and herds, it's usually a good idea to understand what the condition of those flocks and herds are. That's the same way as we draw that analogy to our own bank accounts and things like that. Do we know the condition of our own bank accounts? Are we on top of that? Are we on top of what's going on with our retirement accounts? If we're saving our for retirement, do we know how it's doing? Is it going down when it should be going up because the markets are doing well? Sometimes we can put stuff in a retirement account and not realize it's doing horrible and we're losing money. And if, if we're not paying attention to it, it can go the wrong direction. So we want to make sure we teach our children that about balancing a checkbook. Only 20% of the population actually balances a checkbook. And so very few do that. Dave Ramsey balances his checkbook. He teaches his children to balance their checkbooks when he had children of teenage years and he would give them rewards for balancing their checkbook correctly. And so he feels that it's a very important tool. And to me, it makes sense. We balance our checkbook as well. It forces a person to monitor the cash flow that's going in and out of the checking account. And 80% out there uh, evidently feel that that's not needed. They they can check on it and and review it. And, and if you're able to do so, uh, then that's fine. But I've always thought it weird that to kind of rely on the bank keeping my financial records for me. I would rather keep my own financial records and then compare it with the bank to make sure that everything is going correctly. And let me tell you, I find a lot of errors that way. And those that don't balance their checkbook might be missing a lot of errors. There are actually companies out there that you can pay a fee and they'll look at your finances and look at your checking account. And they say they can usually find and save you several hundred dollars a month just by doing that, by all these prescriptions that you're paying for that you don't need anymore and things that just get away from you. And I've always thought that a little strange. It's like, I should be doing that myself. I can monitor my own checking account. If I do it every day, it, it takes minimal time to do that. And I have a good sense of the cash flow going in and out. And when the opportunity to purchase something comes up, I have an idea of whether we can afford that or not, because I'm monitoring my checking account every day. And I know what's going on with that. The budgeting is the same way. We have a tracker where as soon as I log something into the checkbook, I put it into our Excel spreadsheet tracker that any of us can look at at any time. We can pull it up online on Google Docs and see where we are in any category. What have we spent on groceries? Where are we over on groceries? And so we, we know if we're over in a certain category, we need to watch very particularly what our spending is in that category. Very important to have a budget. Jesus said, who builds a tower without counting the cost to see if he's able to finish it? And he's using that as an analogy of counting the cost of discipleship. But look at what he's using as an analogy, a financial principle of, in effect, in modern terms, if you are going to renovate your home, you need to have a budget. You know, you have a certain amount of money you want to spend on that. And you have a certain amount on floors. You have a certain amount on counters, a certain amount on tiles, a certain amount you want to spend on the bathroom. And if you go over in one category, you know, you have to make adjustments because you only have X amount of dollars to spend on this project. You know, that's budgeting. We have to have a budget for our home as well. We need to know how much income is coming in. So then how much money we can spend in each category. And we want to teach our children how to do that. When they're old enough, we can give them insight in how we are budgeting for items. When they become a teenager, Dave Ramsey suggests opening up a debit card for them and a, a checking account and teaching them how to use that virtual spending, no longer real money, but everything's just kind of on paper and swiping cards and their banks have opportunities to open up accounts for teenagers and apps for the parents that allow them to see anytime the child spends that. You want to monitor that very closely. You want to already have discipled them on how to use it and you monitor to make sure that it's being used correctly and they're balancing 
their checkbook and you're teaching them how to, in that process, balance the checkbook. They could, you could start with concepts also of budgeting certain items and have a simple budget for them at that age. It'd probably be pretty simple. You could show them how you manage your retirement accounts. I know I like to make sure I get paper statements in this regard because they only come like quarterly. So I would forget about monitoring these uh, investment retirement accounts without that. And so when I get that quarterly statement, it doesn't take much time to kind of look at how the investment is doing. I record how much I've put in to those investment accounts. And then when I get the statement, I can see where it's at and I can see what the difference is. It makes me feel really good. gives me warm, fuzzy feelings inside when I see I've put X amount of dollars, but it's grown to this amount on its own while I sleep, while doing nothing. I haven't had to work for it. I mean, that's just the best way to make money. So it makes me feel good about the fact that I've got money going into these investments and seeing it grow. Um, so managed money goes further. That's a biblical principle. So we want to manage it. We want to keep track of the checkbook, budget, manage retirement accounts, uh, and know how they are doing, have a system for that. So we need to teach our children how to do that. And a big indicator that we as a general rule are not doing that is that 80% of the population does not. They at random kind of check their account and there's a lot of things that are slipping by. And I know like of all the mistakes, I find it kind of funny. They tend to be mistakes not in my favor. <laughs> and it's like, if these mistakes are happening at random, how come they almost always seem to be against my favor? And it was in, there was a bank in the news not too long ago that had widespread fraud going on. It was a major bank that had widespread fraud where there was many people in, in this bank that was taking money out of a lot of people's accounts. And it went on for a while. There's only one way that happens. It's because most of these people are not monitoring their accounts and noticing that there's money missing. When we monitor our accounts, we notice, how come I was charged this amount? This should not be. Let me make a phone call and find out why. And so, you know, it's, it's very important. Mistakes can happen. Right out fraud can happen. I know with us, Tanya, we we just had fraud happen with our account. We saw a charge on it that was unauthorized. And by monitoring it every day, I was able to see it right away it and was deal like with it. It was like a very small It like was 15, 15 cents. cents, something like that. But you know what crazy. happens with the 15 cents? There's a reason why that happens right. with 15 cents. And it's it, what was really strange is it was a 15 debit, then a credit, then a debit, then a credit. And there was like 10 of these 15 cent charges. And what happens is if somebody gets a hold of your account information somehow, or a bunch of different account informations, they just start doing these very small transactions on all these accounts to see what works, to see what they're able to get away with, to see because a lot of banks, they have fraud detection and their algorithms will point out that this is probably a fraud and they'll kind of put a hold on it until uh, they can get authorization for it. But there's a lot where that the computer algorithms won't pick up on it. So they're doing these small amounts to see what they can get away with. And if they happen to get caught, what did they get caught for? They just took 15 cents. What is, you know, what, what is, are the authorities going to do about 15 cents? But if it goes through then and nobody notices and then they go back and perhaps wipe out your account or or much larger amounts. So it's very good to get these things early. And that's how if you're monitoring uh, your account daily, then you can catch it very early. I like what Dave Ramsey asks and points out to people. It says, if you were the CFO, the chief financial officer for a company, the way that did your own personal finances, would you fire you? And that kind of makes you think, you know, if you ask your CFO, you know, where are we on this account? How is this account doing? And he can't answer that. You're probably going to go get another CFO. He's be he better be on top of his figures and on top of his numbers. And we need to be the same way. If someone were to ask us, what's the balance on your checking account right now? Can we answer that just off the top of our heads? Do we know how our retirement accounts are going? Do we keep a budget so we know how we're doing this month on our spending? 
And so we're managing God's money, and we need to make sure that we are managing it well. Managed money goes further. A couple other odds and ends that we need to make sure that we teach our children is about insurance. Timothy 5.8 says that those who do not provide for their household are worse than an unbeliever and have denied the faith. Part of that of providing for our household is making sure we provide for them when things go wrong. Because things don't always go right. Things can go south. Dave Ramsey talks about providing for a rainy day. You got to have those rainy day funds, meaning when things just don't go right. It's the emergency funds. When things break, can we pay for it without going to debt? Insurance is one of those things for providing for a house. What if there's an untimely death? We don't know when the Lord is going to take us to be home with him forever. And so insurance is how we provide for our family when there is an untimely death. And the big issue that we need to make sure our children are aware of when they have a family, they need to make sure that they have that insurance. We need to ask them, do you have life insurance to cover your family? And well, what kind of life insurance? This is where it's the term versus whole life or universal life. Dave Ramsey suggests get the term. You don't want the whole life or it has other names like universal life and and other long names like that, which insure you for your whole life. You want to insure for a term. This is where you get your 20-year terms, 30-year terms, the term life insurance. The purpose of insurance is to insure a loss of income. You want to get 10 times your income. So if you're making $100,000 a year, you want to get a million-dollar life insurance policy. That's possible with term. You're going to be hard pressed to get a million dollar policy with some kind of whole or universal life. It's going to be very expensive. So that's why you do the the term life insurance. Whole or universal life does way more than you need it to do. It's more of an investment product than life insurance. And you can cash these in. It builds up savings. And the problem is, how is it doing as an investment? As an investment product, Dave Ramsey has absolutely nothing good to say about it. It, these are horrible. The, the fees are astronomical and the commissions that you have to pay. If you were looking at an investment product, you would never invest in an investment product with such astronomical fees and commissions. So this is a horrible investment product. And as an insurance product, it does way more than you need it to do. So be careful with this because insurance salesmen will sell this to you because it makes a lot of money for the insurance companies and a lot of commissions for him. And so your own financial planner may do the same. I know our financial planner will sell us life whole life and universal life insurance. And he'll give an argument for why those are are good insurance products. And so we got to be careful. So term insurance is the suggestion. It's get term. Watch out for insurance through work. If you get insurance through work, it may be very appealing. It may be cheaper But make sure that that insurance product will continue if you were to leave your job for whatever reason, lose your job, leave the job. Will it continue? If it won't continue, if you left the job, it might be better to to go with insurance that's not connected with your work. So always be sure to check in with that. Uh, Advise your children to be on the lookout for those kind of things. Other issues with insurance is umbrella policies. If your child is starting to gain assets, rental properties, you start to become a little bit more of a magnet for lawsuits. And it's probably a good idea to start getting an umbrella policy that helps give you a little added insurance uh, where insurance won't cover the umbrella policies are usually not very expensive. They're pretty cheap. You can get a million-dollar million umbrella policy for relatively little amount to be worth the added risk that you're having by starting to get in, increasing in your assets. Long-term disability insurance. Dave Ramsey recommends to get that, not less than five years coverage. Make sure you get 60 to 65% coverage of your income. One out of three people will become disabled and be without work for a six-month time. I mean, that's pretty good odds that you might have a six-month period where you can't work and disability coverage can really come in handy. Unfortunately, it is pretty expensive. So this might be 
be something that you might have to get if your work offers it at a reasonable price, uh, something to look into and see if you can afford coverage. And it makes sense um, to be able to pay uh, for that. Other insurance issues, make sure your child is aware of car insurance and health insurance, homeowners, renters. Renters insurance oftentimes is overlooked. And if there's, if their rental house that they're renting or apartment is devastated by a fire and they lose everything, it might have been handy to have some rental insurance to be able to cover their belongings. And rental insurance is dirt cheap. It's worth having, but a lot of times people don't think about it. Make sure your child thinks about it. So that's insurance providing for your household in case something untimely or unfortunate happens. We've got to have that good defense. Best offense is a good defense. And that's part of that defensive plan that we have to make sure that we have when things go south. Another part of that is having a will or a a trust. Dave Ramsey just flat out says, if you don't have a will or a trust, stop everything you're doing, get that going right now and get that done. It's very important to have a will or a trust and your kids will not have that on their radar as a young adult. Just have a tendency not to think about those things. It it just seems too foreign. Uh, A lot of times we do this later but especially if we have a family, we need to, we can get our family in a bad financial straits if we don't have a will or a trust there in case we have an untimely death. Even if your child is single, it's probably worth a consult to see if a will or trust should be in place. It's easy to think, I don't have a family right now and uh, I don't really have any assets. Do I really need a will or a trust? Well, maybe. And a trust might be a better way to go. In general, a trust can avoid a lot of probate and your heirs having to spend a lot of money and probate costs and such. But they're a little bit more of a hassle, a little bit more expensive. But even if you don't have anything, it makes things easier to already have a trust in place. So then when you start gaining assets, you just title them in the name of a trust really easily. Whereas later on, if you set up a trust, now that you have to go back at this point and rename everything into the name of the trust. Let me tell you, we just did that recently and that can be a hassle. And so if you can do that at the forefront, it can make things a lot easier. It can make things a lot cleaner because everything's in the trust. Whereas you do it later, you got to make the decision of is it worth putting this in the trust? Is it worth putting that in the trust to go through all the trouble? It's a lot easier to do that right at the forefront when you don't have anything. So it might be worth the consult when you don't have stuff to get a trust already in place. So again, that's the defense of plan to have that in place. A good defense is a good offense. Another thing I want to make sure that I teach my children is to have an entrepreneurial spirit. And what do I mean by that? An entrepreneurial spirit, the idea of not just being a consumer, but a producer, the concept of not just reading a book, but writing a book, not just working for somebody, maybe thinking about starting our own business or a nonprofit, inventing something, looking for a need in this world and filling it. The best way to make money is to solve other people's problems. Start noticing, is there a problem out here that I can solve that can bring in some income for me, especially while I sleep. I mean, the best money that could be made out there is money that happens without any effort. And so if we could look out for those kind of opportunities, buying assets, buying real estate, stocks, inventing something and getting a patent on it, writing books that brings in steady income when everybody buys these books that can bring in royalty checks. If we're good musicians and we get music out there that can just continually make money, even maybe for the rest of our life, because we keep selling albums. This is a concept that I want to introduce to my child. There's a book out there written by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Those who are really big in in the investment financial world know who I'm talking about. This is a groundbreaking seminal book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, who kind of presents this dichotomy between the rich dad, poor dad. Uh, there is a, a dichotomy in the financial world out there. The difference between finding a nine to five job and maybe looking for a pension and being very safe with that can even be a very comfortable living depending on what kind of job 
you get, but you're working for somebody and, you, and you're at the beck and call of a boss and you may work for a boss that's tyrannical, you know, and you, you're not your own boss and it's safer, uh, steady income, perhaps a steady retirement, especially if it provides a, a pension and, but there's caps on it. You'll never become rich, you know, like the, somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit can, that can make it big in a business that just takes off. So the opposite of that would be the, to start your own business, invest in real estate or, you know, look for those things you can invent and get patents on it, you know, and there's a lot of debate about which is the best way to go. There's a lot of risk when it comes to being an entrepreneur. Not 96% of small businesses fail. And so it could be, and the ones that don't fail, a lot of them struggle to just keep the doors open. But the ones that do make it, they find this niche, they start a product that everybody wants and it just takes off and they're able to sell their business for millions of dollars make it big. There's the potential of that. And you're your own boss. Uh, yeah, you have to work 120 hour weeks, <laughs> but you're your own boss. You're the captain of your own ship. Nobody else is telling you what to do. Nobody else can just say, hey, clean all the gum off of the floor over there. I don't want to clean the gum. Off. Well, I am paying you go clean the gum off that floor. You're the boss. So which is the better way to go? Of course, in the financial world, there's the debate. And of course, Robert Kiyosaki says that the best way is the rich dad, the entrepreneur, not the poor dad who teaches his child to be safe, get that nine to five job, work for somebody else. I, I kind of want to expose my child to both concepts. And there's a reason that I think that's a good way to go. First of all, it just opens up a whole new world of possibilities to my child who may want to become an entrepreneur and the excitement of starting their own business, their own nonprofit and seeing where it goes. Or they may want to work for somebody, but they see the, the options out there and it opens up a world of possibilities just as a a side gig, a side hustle. Those who are entrepreneurs raise their kids to be entrepreneurs. Those who work nine to five tend to raise their kids to be nine to five. And I think it's a good idea to expose my child to both. When I was a police officer, I had no idea about the concept of an entrepreneurial spirit until I started to notice time and time again, police officers who had their own businesses. It was the weirdest thing. I would see, see somebody doing something and just making conversation. Ah, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing payroll. I'm like, payroll? You're a police officer. What do you mean you're doing payroll? I was I have a business on the side. I also have a store and I'm doing payroll. There were so many police officers that had stores. There was a police officer that was a property investor. He had all these properties to include a beach house that he used himself and went on vacations himself to this beach house and also rented out. I'm like, you're a police officer and you have a beach house? It was a nice beach house. And so it's, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that you can do to help supplement income. Stay at home moms who want to focus and stay at home and homeschool their child or something can have side hustles that can make some income for them selling things online. I mean, living in the online age can has really opened up a world of possibilities. People have businesses that they run out of their homes and garages and do a lot of amazing things, making a lot of money. Missionaries can have often have side hustles and side gigs. I remember Larry Paquette, the forerunner to Dave Ramsey, constantly talked about this time where uh, he had two people call in on this on the same show. And one was this professional ball player that made all this money, but he was asking questions on what he should do in bankruptcy. He had gone broke. And the very next call was a pastor living on very little, but he was asking about what he should do with all these investment properties that everywhere he moved around to as a as a pastor, he had been in different places. He had invested in these different properties and, and had all these properties worth a lot of money and and was asking, should he sell these now for retirement or should he hold on to them? And, and what should he do uh, about it? And this was on a, this pastor was wealthy, whereas this professional ball player 
was broke. It's like, well, what made the, the difference? Sound financial stewardship is one thing, possibly. There could be some misfortune in there. I don't know all the circumstances, but as far as the pastor was concerned, he had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit to have this side hustle on the side to help provide for his family while working in a ministry that oftentimes doesn't pay very much. So there's a lot of applications to this entrepreneurial spirit where we want to teach our children to kind of think out of the box with some things. And if you really problem solve an issue that a lot of people have and you can patent and protect that idea in some way, uh, it may be an idea that can really take off and provide some big future uh, income for yourself and for even generations to come. Now, that has to be tempered a little bit with concepts in the Bible about get-rich-quick schemes, because that's not what we're talking about. First Timothy 6, 9 says, "...the desire to be rich falls in temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all evil." Proverbs 21.5 adds, steady plotting brings prosperity, but hasty speculation brings poverty. We do not want to fall into get-rich-quick schemes or take uncalculable risks for losing it all. There's a concept that goes along with this called diversification, Ecclesiastes 11.2. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both like will be good. What is that saying? That's saying don't put all your eggs in one basket. If we have an opportunity that comes along, we need to teach our children that you don't want to just put everything you have into something that has a risk of a high risk of failing. For example, you may have the opportunity to invest in a friend's business. And knowing that 96% of small businesses fail, you might not want to invest everything you have into that. Only invest what you are willing and able to lose. Or if you're going to start your own business, be very wary about putting all your retirement savings and everything you have to start your own business with a 96% chance of failing. When you're starting out, you can get wide eyes and say, oh, this could take off and but you just never know what's going to catch on and what doesn't. And so we've got to temper that entrepreneurial spirit with also diversifying our risk and being wise with that only invest in something that has such a high risk with maybe a smaller percentage of what you have. Very important that we teach our children that uh, long-term investing is another concept we want to make sure that they are aware of. As we are investing in mutual funds and such, Dave Ramsey recommends that you make sure your fund is getting at least 12%. And he says, you know, you can get a lot of pushback from your financial advisor. You can't get 12%. And he's like, I don't understand why that is, says Dave Ramsey, because I have a bunch of different mutual funds and every single one of them is gaining 12%. And so what's the issue here? And, and you know, a lot of it has to do with if you're going to get 12%, you might have to be investing in some more of like index funds and such. And those don't gain much commission for your financial advisor. So they may be steering you towards more of those funds that give them income and keep them feeding their family. And so you might want to watch out for that and try to get that 12%. It also means that you have to go for something that's more aggressive. They're going to ask you, do you want to invest in a mutual fund that's safe? Or do you want it to be something that sounds more like an aggressive growth? And that's where your risk tolerance comes in. There's those that are really nervous about investing and they're going to want to invest in something safe. And that's fine. You got to go with what allows you to sleep at night, but just recognize you're going to get a low rate of return and interest rates make a huge difference in what you gain. And so, you know, you may in invest a couple hundred thousand dollars over your lifetime in a mutual fund. And if you go for something safe, it's it's only going to maybe gain a hundred thousand dollars or so, whereas it might have grown to a million dollars and more if you were in something more aggressive. It's still diversified because mutual funds by its very nature are diversified. A mutual fund is a fund that invests in a bunch of 
different stocks and bonds and and other things. So it's already diversified. But what makes up that fund something that's a bunch of things that are really safe and doesn't really there's no chance of really getting any good returns on it, but it's safe or something that invests in uh, something that's more volatile with the market. And you've got it while you're monitoring your account, you've got to weather out those times in the market where all of a sudden your mutual fund just dropped $50,000 and you're like, go. But you recognize that's the way the market does. It goes up and down. I'm still excited about the downs because I'm still investing. And that's the time to invest when things are cheaper and down. So when it comes back up, I know it's going to grow even more. So I always have that long term lookout. The last thing is, how do we teach this to our children with the focus on this? How do we teach this to our children First of all, if we homeschool, we could just make it part of the curriculum and teach it that way. If we don't homeschool, then we teach this in our 30-minute Bible studies every time, and we make sure that we, whenever the Bible talks about finances, we see that as an opportunity to bring up these discussions. Um, the other way is through chores. There is a strong link uh, to success with chores, success in later life with chores, such a strong leak that that is just a strong recommendation that we use chores as a way to teach finances. And of course, Dave Ramsey has a method that is really great to follow. I like what he suggests if, and he starts early at age three, he says from ages three to five, we want to start chores that they do for pay. You know, there's a lot of parents that give allowances to our children for doing absolutely nothing. And that's why Dave Ramsey does not like the word allowance like that. We're just teaching them how to be entitled. We want to teach them chores for pay. And he calls it commissions. Now, there's some pushback with parents. Every time we've taught this, uh, we always hear some pushback because parents, there's always a few that like, well, I don't know. I was brought up with chores being a duty. Chores should be taught that this is what you do as a member of your family. And I want to stress duty. Well, Dave Ramsey agrees with that, too. But can we do both and get the best of both worlds that there are some chores that we do as duty? This is a part what you do as part of the family. And there's chores that you do for pay. And there's chores that you do in the moment because I need your help and you love me. And that's why you're obeying. And therefore, we're teaching duty as well as teaching work ethic linked to pay. And there's a lot of all these financial principles that we can teach with these chores. At age three and five, though, a lot may be asking, why in the world will you teach three to five-year-olds to do chores? What are they going to be able to do? Well, you know, the parent's going to be doing most of the work and the child is just helping is a very little bit. And this is a frustrating time as a parent, because if a child is like helping you with the dishes, what you could have done in a few minutes now is going to what feels like takes forever because they are quote unquote helping, you know, and what's the point? Well, the point is we are training them up. We are touching the palate, as it were, with our child. This is a concept in child discipleship that comes from the proverb that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up in the Hebrew Hanok, as its etymology, its history, to mean touch the palate. In the Hebrew culture, and there's a lot of other cultures that have very strong, spicy food, the way they would train their children how to eat that food and like it was to even while they were an infant still on milk, they would mush up that food, sometimes chew it up and take that food and touch the palate of that infant ever, with whatever the adult was eating. So that child would grow up already learning how to like that food before they're even capable of that. And that concept became so popular in their thinking to mean, well, we should touch the palate when we're training a child how to to hunt, touch the palate in training them how to cook before they're even really capable of these concepts already start. There's a lot of thinking with parents of when do I start teaching my child this? Start now. 
You know, the, the concept is always start now, even before they're capable. Children are so capable of a lot of things before we even realize it. And they're already starting to form neural pathways for things that we don't even realize that we want to train them before they're even capable. And that's what we're doing even with chores. They're not really capable of much between the ages of three and five, certainly at, at age three, but have them help clean up their toys and, and you know they're helping you do that have them do dishes with our daughter we started at four and she's now five and what she does is her chores as duty because she's a member of this family and she has to do this as part of a duty is make her bed do the dishes. He's helping me do the dishes. He helps make her bed. Even if that just means moving the covers up, it takes her two seconds to just move the the covers up. And that's enough. She helps me with the dishes, handing me dishes, Uh, brushing her teeth and changing her clothes is considered part of her, her chores. What she does for money is feeding the cats giving them some food. She has a trampoline and she's responsible for cleaning that and with a leaf blower. And, you know, she just kind of just moves the, the leaf blower around. And then I, I finish up to make sure it's clean. She helps with the trash. She's able to put a bag in the trash to replace that. So you're just trying to get your three to five year old to help you as much as you can. It's going to be irritating because it's going to really sl- slow you down. But She's learning duty to do things as duty for the family. She's also learning the concept of money and connecting work with money. And she has a payday every Sunday. We like Sunday because we pay her a dollar. We give actual physical money at this age that she can feel. She's not going to understand any kind of virtual money or anything written down. She's actual money in coins. Kids this age really like coins. And we do it in a way where she can take that 10 cents. What do we do that with that first 10 cents? We tithe. And we have a, a little purse that she can put that in. And she goes um, you know, immediately to church that day and is able to put that in the offering. We're able to give that strong connection with tithe. And what really astounds me and what I really love is she's not just tithing my money that we gave to her. She's tithing her money that she earns. And she's getting the blessings of God that says, prove me now in this if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that you won't have room for it. The Malachi 3 blessing. And she is learning the concept of tithing as she's tithing her own money. There is no stronger lesson than a true life lesson that's happening with her own things. You know, and what do we do with the next 10 or 15%? We save in. So she's already saving for college by putting in long-term savings in that long-term savings jar, a clear jar where she can see the money and she sees it there. And then what do we do with the rest of it? We spend it. And this is a jar for your spending. And every so often we go to the dollar store so she can buy a toy that she likes. And she gets the joy of seeing the money that she earns. She gets to buy something. When she buys something, we have a big celebration. Look what you bought with your own money. And then we have those conversations where she wants to buy something, but she doesn't have enough money. It's like, well, you can save up for it. And we can have those discussions about, well, you can buy this small object right now that you want, but if you save your money, you could buy something even bigger later. And and so you have those conversations when she wants to buy everything in the store. You know, it's not just us that she has to depend on whether we'll buy it or not for us. Like, no, well, you can buy it with your own money if you have enough money. And if you don't, then you need to save it. And the big important concepts here is we want it to be a joyful process as much as possible. We want to bring up these concepts, but she ultimately makes the decision. She, she's not allowed to buy anything that's against family values, a dangerous toy, you know, or something that's just against values in yeah, some way. Yeah, a toy we just do not approve. Do not approve of in some way. so that More worldly. Like uh, a lot of things that we just don't support from a worldview perspective. 
Right. But otherwise, if it's just not smart, you know, we'll bring out those issues of do you really want to it's just going to break in two seconds? You know, we'll bring that out. But ultimately, if she wants to buy it, Dave Ramsey suggests don't get into those arguments with her. We want to bring out the joy of just being able to spend on something frivolous. God said that's part of what we're trying to teach with money is all the concepts of good stewardship work, giving, tithing, saving, spending. We're already teaching her this at age three and touching the palate with that as she gains more and more comprehension of what this means. And we did that all very simply through these chores and giving her the ability to, to spend her own money, to tithe her own money, to save her own money, to work for it. How valuable is that and the valuable lessons that can gain from that and so much that she learns from it. So that's for ages three to five. From ages six to eight, you increase the amount of chores that you do. You now do five things or more or so for compensation with higher expectations. doesn't have to be perfect, but if they don't do it, they don't get paid. They are actually doing it now with our help. So now they're, we're transitioning to that phase. Um, and they're now starting to save larger percentages of their income uh, for college. We start increasing that a little bit, go from 10% to 15% or maybe 20%. You want to save a little bit more. Maybe the pay goes up a little bit more with the higher expectations. Then from ages nine to 12, this is where we start to transition to doing a little bit more, and now we're going for quality work. They are doing it, and we're just supervising how well they do, and we're making them go back if they didn't do it well. And we may give take some of their pay away if it just wasn't quality work, and if it was high-quality work, then they get their whole pay. We really want to train that quality work because at age 12, now we're going to transition to them finding their own work, that entrepreneurial spirit go out and they're going to want more money because they want to now money is they're going to want more to be able to buy more more for their needs and they're not going to have it and we need to stress we need to go out and find a job i'm no longer your atm i'm not going to pay you more for these chores this is it and if you want more money to be able to spend more or whatnot you need to go out and find some jobs for money walking dogs babysitting mowing lawns house sitting we were so impressed with our neighbor kids who had a, the quintessential lemonade stand out on the street. You know, every kid has tried that. Every kid usually makes absolutely no money because nobody's, you, you feel sorry for them, but you're sitting out there seeing all these kids uh, with lemonade stands and we won't even go out there and help them out and, and buy a cup of lemonade or, or something, or some person may take the initiative and they sell one cup, but these kids actually made money hand over fist. How did they do it? On the same day, there was workers out there working on the street, repaving it. And there was a bunch of workers and it was hot and it, during the summer and every single one of them kept buying cup after cup of lemonade and they also had brownies out there so they were buying brownies from them we were so excited about it we had to go talk to them and we ended up buying some brownies and lemonade from them as well and so they just made all this money and what a great lesson in an entrepreneurial spirit seeing an opportunity location 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 the three rules of business they had a great location a great opportunity what an awesome lesson that they learned from that and then by ages 15 or 16 then of course we want to start transitioning them to finding work out there where they're getting a steady paycheck from a business and such and this is where we start opening up checking accounts uh, with a debit card and teaching them how to use that we can open up a roth account for already start saving for retirement they already have that in place so when they get a career their first career job they've already got a Roth that they can just start putting 15% into um, so that you're working for jobs for like King's Dominion or the local ice cream shop or all these fast food restaurants or wherever they they can find a, a job for and still teaching those lessons about tithing and saving at this point you really want to be saving a very large percentage of what they're making uh, for college and stressing that this is 
they're saving for their college education, if that's their plan, or for a trade school, if that's where they're going, or just to start with, have some savings to start their career. And all throughout, then we've been teaching that giving, tithing, saving, and spending, and using real life application with chores, and then transitioning to them finding their own jobs to give them those real life lessons and applying all this that we want to teach them that we've been talking about in these podcasts and instilling a strong work ethic with them. Proverbs 10, 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Tons of Bible verses about work ethic, and that's a part of stewardship. We want to tie in that work ethic, making money and and saving that, turning one into two, two into four, five into 10, or ultimately the kingdom. You're able to tithe more. You're able to give more. You're in a good financial position to be able to do things for the kingdom. You're not hindered by your finances. So you're limited in what you could do for the kingdom and what you can give to others because we're just in debt and can't do much. We want to just do everything we can. Finances are so important. That's why the Bible talks so much about finances, because if we have good finances and we're being good stewards, we can do so much for the kingdom of God. And there's so many opportunities that open up for us. If our finances are in shambles, that's what life becomes about. How do we dig ourselves out of the hole? And it limits so much that we're able to do for other people and for the church, for the kingdom of God. And that's why the Bible stresses so much about good financial stewardships. And it's our responsibility as parents to disciple our children in this very important concept of financial stewardship and get them off on the right foot and continue to advise them about and remind them about what we've been teaching them as children all along through adulthood. We've established uh, a connection with our children. They still accept advice from us. And we've taught them how to accept advice and to listen to us. And we continue to remind them of what we've been teaching them all along about all these concepts as they come up. And we remind them, hey, do you have insurance? Do you have term insurance? Do you have a will? Do you have a trust in place? And reminding of them, even as adults, our discipleship never ends until we go to heaven. And then our discipleship still continues as we echo into eternity. This is great. Thank you so much for taking us through this amazing financial stewardship series that we have gone through. If you have not uh, had an opportunity to listen to the four previous parts, please take some time to listen to that. But this episode was wonderful. It gave us a well-rounded perspective of those important ins and outs so that we can make sure that we don't miss anything like the checking accounts that uh, we want to make sure we're balancing properly, the chores, entrepreneurship, and all the things that you mentioned. I think it's wonderful. And so we are so grateful for everyone that has listened to these podcasts. We're excited to hear from you. You can check us out on Instagram at Colormania. And we would love to to get feedback on this and how you're applying it to your family. And so again, we are so thankful that we've had an opportunity to go through this series with you. And we will continue on as the Lord leads and as we continue to tackle different topics. And we appreciate all of your support. And until next time, God bless.